hostile 28-year-old, Dickerson wanted to undermine his father's uh, repressive faith. And on the show, David says, I had all this ammunition. I could not wait to use it. And I remember thinking, this is a showdown because my dad and I were at war. My dad didn't know this, but I was at war with him. I was at war with all Christians, and I was just waiting for an excuse to have a shot. And so when his father innocently mentioned uh, some mission work that he'd been praying about, David unleashed his fury. He says, I I just rambled on like this. I, I knew essentially while I was doing this, I was also assaulting his dream, you know, saying everything he was excited about that he was sharing with me was misbegotten, was a bad idea, was morally corrupt, and he just kind of quietly let me do my thing. David's father let him expend every round of ammunition without arguing or, or retreating. He simply looked at David and he said, David, I'm really proud of everything you've done. And David concluded the show by saying, and I remember looking at my dad and I thought, I had sort of expected to argue, you know, not to win, but to come up with some sort of armistice, you know, some kind of truce. I hadn't expected to lose completely because you can't argue with decency. You cannot argue with goodness. And, you know, I see a couple things in this story. First of all, you know, there, there are some people who are just itching for a fight. We all know people like that. You know, if, if there's a conflict, they, they want to nurture it. They want to keep it going. They want to keep it alive. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And uh, yeah, these, these other people, you could, you could call them peace breakers instead of peacemakers. And second, and the, the most impressive thing here was uh, the father's constraint that he showed, the, the amount of gentleness. Rather than responding the way I would probably respond, the way most of us would probably respond, and, and, and you know how we can be. We want to be right. We want to win. Instead, he just replied in, in love and grace, and, and he created this, this atmosphere of peace. Now, last week when we finished our study in First in Peter, we noticed that the letter had started and ended with a, a call for the, the blessing of, of peace. You know, ended with grace and peace. And last week, uh, as just kind of an exercise, I was, I was looking at the epistles. I was looking at the, uh, the openings and the closings of, of the epistles. And the, these two words, grace and peace, tend to sandwich these, these letters. They, they open with grace and peace, and they, they close with grace and peace. And, you know, I'm afraid that often we, uh, we just kind of overlook those openings and closings. We, we skim over them. But, you know, they're there for a reason. I think they're important, very important. Opening and closing with grace and peace. And I'd like to, oh, I, I'd like to do something kind of different here today. I'd like to 
just look at a closing today from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians and uh, use this as kind of kind of an anchor for, for today's sermon. Um, Paul had opened the letter of Ephesians saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look at the closing, the, the last two verses of, of Ephesians. Yeah, it's really odd that I should... Uh, preach from a closing of a letter that we haven't gone through, but that's what we're doing. I think this is something we need. Ephesians six twenty three and 24, read with me if you would, please. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love uncorruptible. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just ask that these words would uh, deeply penetrate our, our very core. Lord, that our, our hearts would be full of your love and your peace and your, your grace, Lord. Lord, let, let these saturate our, our minds and, and our hearts. Let, let these things... Uh, just guide us in our, our actions and in our speech. In Jesus' name, amen. So with, with this closing, you know, Paul, with the, ver- the uh, book of Ephesians, kind of comes full circle. He had opened the letter saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he says, Peace be to the brothers. Love from faith. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You know, wishing peace and grace to the Ephesians, which is so common, but adding this one very important component, love. You know, in in a way this... If, if we were if we were to go through the book of ephesians we'll we'll do that someday, but it's kind of a synopsis of of the letter you know there's there are three things which are given by the Father to those who are in christ and um that's what that's what the letter begins with the first half of the letter of Ephesians talks about what God has done for us, what he has given to us, and then he moves on to how we should live the Christian life with that foundation laid. So I'd like to follow Paul's example. It goes something like this. God gives it, we live it. God gives it, so we live it. God gives us peace, love, and grace. Now we need to, dis- we need to demonstrate these things by the way we live. These are the things that exemplify the life in Christ peace, love, and grace. And what I'd like to do today is look at these things in light of how we should live in in our our marriages, our our families, in all our relationships, especially in our, our church. We have the absolute need for peace, love, and grace if we are to 
have unity in, in our church. Let's start with peace. Paul says, peace be to the brothers. Now this word for peace, irene in the Greek, it appears eight times in the book of Ephesians. Pretty important concept. It, it, it means a, a state of concord or harmony between people or well-being. This is the, uh, the Greek equivalent of the uh, Hebrew word shalom, which, which talks about wholeness. It talks about things being right, things being the way they should be, things being the way God wants them. Peace be to the brothers. <clears throat> and as, again, as with the opening greeting, we might tend to overlook this and miss, it, miss its significance. You know, think about how we greet each other. Hey, John, how's it going? And what's John's response? Hey, how's it going? And we, we get on, we walk away from each other or maybe even get into a conversation. We never really know how, how we, the other one is doing. It's just, you know, how's it going? How's it going instead of hello? But that's not the way... Paul is using this here. You know, peace is crucial to the life of the Christian, the life with God, the life with others. Peace be to the brothers from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, from God. This is something we cannot manufacture. If we do, if it's just from us, it's going to be a flawed, it's going to be a faulty peace. Any sort of peace apart from the peace of God is going to be defective. It's going to be superficial. So first we have peace from God. We have peace with God. Uh, God is a God of reconciliation and peace. You know, the gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. It's our, the gospel is the gospel of our position being restored, our position with God, things being made right again. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul talks about how God has given us peace and reconciliation through Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. And all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We need to extend the peace of God to others. He has so generously given us that. He's given us reconciliation. We need to be people of reconciliation. What do we have when we don't have peace? We have hostility. In, in chapter 2 of, of Ephesians, Paul talks about this hostility. He talks about reconciliation. In particular, he's talking about racial reconciliation reconciliation between the the Jews and the the Gentiles who had been at odds. He says, but now in Christ, you who were, and he's speaking to the Gentiles, you who were once far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You know, the thing is, we all, starting with Adam, have made ourselves enemies of God through our our rebellion, through our sin. You know, no peace with God. No peace with each other either. But God has brought us together. God is a God of reconciliation. Peace to the brothers. We should never have any dividing walls of hostility in our church. If there are, we are living contrary to the gospel of reconciliation. If we are, we're guilty guilty of abandoning that ministry of reconciliation that God has given us. Verse 18 continues, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Together. Together we have peace with God. And that should break down the barriers that are, that are between us. The walls of hostility. God's design for us as a church is that we be a people of unity and a people of peace. We need to be a people of the gospel. This, this building metaphor that, that Paul uses, think about it. Uh, together as, as living stones where Paul says we, we are built up into a, a dwelling place, a temple, a habitation for, for God by the Spirit. He talks about us being fitted together, fitted together. Each of us a living stone in this temple. What happens when we're not fitted together? We're a pile of rubble with no purpose. You know, the scripture also uses the uh, the body analogy as, as a description for the church. You know, the body's made up of different parts, all different. Each with a different function, all connected together. I, <clears throat> I recently read a book called Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church, which talks about how we can live in harmony and be able to disagree agreeably on things because we're all going to have differing opinions the reason I bring up this book, though, is uh, this, this one quote. The author states that uh, we live in the body of Christ, 
It's made up of many different members, hands and feet, eyes and ears, heads and toes. He says each body part is connected to the others by a joint. Somewhere else he gives the number of joints. I forget how many, like 638 or something like that. But he says each body is connected to the others by a joint. Joints are subject to the great law of joints, which says if joint, then joint pain. And if you don't believe that, you are not over the age of 40. Joint pain. Joint pain. And that's true, isn't it? There's pain that we need to work through sometimes with each other when we disagree. We need to work through it. We need to manage it. This is why we so desperately need God in our lives. We need God in our midst. We're called to be peacemakers. God's design for the body is that we work together for the good of the body, for the health of the body, each member serving the body under the headship of Christ. God's desire is that we live in peace with one another. Jesus said, salt is good. By the way, I hear a lot of people say, no, salt's not good. You, you, you shouldn't be eating salt. But I remember one time Chris bought some uh, tomato soup, and it was unsalted, low sodium. I couldn't eat it. I had, I had to put salt in it. You know. Salt is good. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Be at peace with one another. If we're not at peace with one another, Jesus is saying we've lost our saltiness. We're no good. We've, we've lost our usefulness in the community. We've lost our testimony. Paul gives us a picture in Romans. Blessed are those, or excuse me, I'm going off on the wrong trail here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. <coughs> Excuse me. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Let me read that last one again. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What does this mean? It means there may be people who are irreconcilable. But if there's a wall between you and another person, make sure that wall is not there because of you. If there's something blocking the path, make sure that you've done your part in clearing that path. Make sure that the obstacle is not you. Or me. <laughs> you know, a, a broken relationship hurts the body. When one member suffers, the, the body suffers. Itchy <coughs> <coughs> mm. throat. Here's the thing if we have a broken relationship, it's up to me 
It's up to you to take the first step towards reconciliation. That's not how we are, though, is it? We want to say, well, as soon as that person apologizes to me, I'll consider it. As soon as they change, then maybe I'll consider it. If they take the first step, then I'll, then I'll respond. No, that's not the, uh, the biblical way. And if we seek peace and we're rejected, and that's a difficult thing, pray for that person. Pray that God would soften that person's heart. Pray that that person would, would be willing to be reconciled. Pray that God would work on you as well. Jesus talks about taking the log out of your own eye. Many times we see that speck in our brother's eye and we don't see the, the beam in our own eye. Well, that word, that word peace appears eight times in, in Ephesians. The word love, on the other hand, shows up 19 times. Peace to the brothers and love with faith. So first, God's love towards us is, is great. Paul said, had said several things in this letter about God's love for us. Here are a few. Uh, chapter 1, it says that uh, we've been adopted into the family of God by his love. Chapter 2, because of the great love which, with, he, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive in Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 says, Christ dwells in your heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. By the way, I love that, that those four dimensions, you know, that, that we, Paul is saying, I want you to know all the dimensions of, of God's love. Chapter five, he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. God's love for us is great. And this is how we should see God and his love and how his love towards us should be extended to others. You know, Jesus said, the mark of a Christian will, will be love, the love that you have one another. He said, people will, you know, will know you're my disciples because you love each other. And I guess in contrast, if, if we don't show love to each other, uh, what's the world going to see when they see us? They're going to see people that are no different, just like them. They'll know we're his disciples because we love one another. And that's the second great commandment, right? Or the second part of the greatest commandment? You know, love is, is hugely important in uh, peacemaking you know, love is what we need to have as our motivation. Everything we do needs to be motivated by love, Paul says. What 
hinders peacemaking. It's a failure to love, failure to put others first. Um, What hinders peacemaking is rather a, a love for self, you know, putting self above others. Christ-like love, which is love from God, God's love extended through us to others, puts others first. And I'm, yeah, I'm afraid that what happens in, in peace breaking is that, uh, what do we do? We convince ourselves we're right, the other person's wrong. We focus on what's been done to us how we've been wronged. You know, we're, we're good at recognizing other people's faults, aren't we? I think we're all experts at, at that. They're, they're so easy to see. So easy to see, but, but we don't see our own. That's that log in our own eye. We have it backwards. We, we tend to love ourselves more than others when Jesus said, love others more than yourselves. Why is that? Because we're blind to our own sin, each and every one of us. But you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about a better way. He talks about genuine love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Ouch. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. What Paul's describing here is certainly not uh, self-love. You know, this, this is love that can only come from God. Paul talks about how we can, we can do everything right. Earlier in that chapter, verse 1 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he says that, you know, I, if I speak in the tongues of man, men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Yeah, I remember... When our kids were young, Chris, a lot of times, just to keep them entertaining, if she was cooking dinner, she'd let them get into the lower cabinet, which had pots and pans, and she'd hand them a wooden spoon. And I don't know how she stood this, but they would sit there and bang on the pots and the pans. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can't think with that kind of racket going on. There's a there's a book by... Uh, 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 an author, Alexander Strzok, which is called Leading with Love. And he, he, he talks about this, this passage. And when he comes to this part, he, he says that uh, when he preaches a sermon from 1 Corinthians 13 and comes to this part, he, he pulls out, I was, I was going to do this, but I decided against it. He pulls out a, a pan and a spoon. And as he's talking, he's banging on this. And people kind of laugh, but... You know, the, the smiles disappear after a while because he keeps doing it as, as he's talking, you know, just to demonstrate this noisy gong or clanging cymbal. But, you know, that's how we are if, if we don't have love. 
Paul goes as far as to say, if we don't have love, we're, we're nothing. So where should our priorities be? You know, Paul, if, if we look at that, at that passage, uh, Paul talks about, you know, we can speak in the tongue of men and angels and prophesy. You know, I, I can be very involved with church. I can, I can be a teacher or a, a preacher or you name it. Whatever we, we do in church, we can do it very well. We can be super gifted, extremely knowledgeable, You know, having all the mysteries of the Bible nailed down, which (laughs) um, none of us do. I can be super faithful in in giving, self-sacrificing, but Paul says, without love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. It's, 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 It's a waste of time without love. That really should give us pause. He talks about love in, in Ephesians here in our, our text, love with faith. You know, what, what is the role of faith in our love? This is something we need to consider. Back to verse 23, he said, Peace to the brothers, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, God's love exudes from his faithfulness. Our love needs to be based on faith. Faith in God. Faith that God knows the truth. God is just, but above all, God is merciful. And as his beloved children, we we need to share. We must share in those attributes. We need to have faith when we follow God's command to love one another. We have to have faith. You know, loving your neighbor as yourself, when we do that, we're acting in accordance with God's command for us. We're told, um, you know, as beloved children, be imitators of, of God. We have to have faith. What happens if we don't have faith? We don't really have true love. You know, we'll talk ourselves out of it without faith. We'll say things like, why should I love this person? They'll never return my love. We have to have faith that God will work in that person's heart. We might say, you know, I'll... I'll love this person once they first show me love. Or, you know, love without faith says, why bother? They'll never change. It's a waste of time to love this person. Love with faith says, I'm going to hand this over to God. No matter what this person does or does not do, I'm going to extend God's love to this person. So, Peace to our brothers, love with faith. The third thing is grace. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You know, we're, we're the recipients of God's grace. It's, uh, it's only, only by his grace that, that, we're, that we're saved. His, his grace so undeserved. We, we sang that song last week um, about how His love was so undeserved. It's only by his grace that we're able to live the Christian life. It's only by his grace that we're able to obey the commandments that Jesus gave. 
Here's the thing, though. We are not naturally inclined either to receive grace or to give grace, are we? We feel that we deserve what we earn, right? We deserve what we have. We worked hard for it. We feel that if we're good, good things are going to happen to us because we deserve it. Um, look at our, in our culture, the archetypal gift giver, Santa Claus. You know, Santa Claus gives gifts to good children, right? All the rest get a lump of coal. My little brother Rick used to get little bags of, of coal for Christmas. I'm kidding. Chuck Swindoll says that grace grates against everything we are and want to be. Everything we are is legalistic. Everything we want to be is licentious. That is lacking uh, legal or, or moral restraints. And grace says, no, neither one is, is going to be permitted. As far as us having a hard time receiving grace, uh, let me tell you a little story. When I was in seminary, in one of the classes, this, this topic of, of grace came up. And we had an assignment. We had to write a paper. It was this paper was a lot of work. It, it took me a long time to to do this, and when we turned it in, the the professor he said, "Now, I want you to uh, at the top write what grade you want." And somebody goes, "Well, any grade?" And he goes, "Yeah, just whatever grade, whatever grade you want, you write you write that on there, whether it's an A or B or C or D or F." And, you know, people are looking around like, what? This, this can't be real. Well, of course, I, you know, I, I worked hard on that. I, I think I deserve my A. So I put an A on there. Well, anyway, uh, the, the next time we, we resumed class, he handed those back and he said, you know, uh, several people came and complained to me about that. He, he said nobody, nobody who uh, did a poor job and gave themselves an A came up and said anything at all. He said the, uh, the loudest complainers were those who worked really hard on this assignment and said, you know, I worked hard for my A, and I know the guy over here only maybe put, you know, minimal time in it. He did a substandard job, and he got the same grade I did. Grace, you know, we, we feel like we earn what we get. We need to earn what we get, and we... We even resent others if, if they get grace that we feel like they don't deserve. But the thing is, none of us deserve God's grace. None of us do. God's grace is so huge. It's so awesome. It's, it's amazing. You know, he's given us his grace. And really, the only, the only natural response for us should be to uh, extend that to others. You know, God's, without God's grace, we don't have peace with God. Without grace, we'll, we'll never have peace with others. Uh, having grace towards others can, can be hard. It can be difficult. You know, the thing is, with people, people are always going to disappoint us one way or another. People will never live up to our, our expectations, you know, and 
I think what we tend to do, and Jesus talks about this, is you know putting burdens on other people that we can't even ourselves bear. Uh, let's see, Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, uh, they sit on Moses' seat. He's talking about them. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders that they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. That's not grace. You know, grace grace comes from a uh, a heart that is after God's own heart. You know, apart from God, our our inclination is to, again, feel like, we need to earn God's love and forgiveness and that other people need to earn our love and forgiveness. That's not grace. We need to show grace to each other. We need to be willing to forgive and really mean it. Uh, you know, again, there's, it's true. There, there are people who will keep sinning against you even after you've forgiven, even after you've loved and shown grace. Uh, There are people who will apparently never uh, confess. Uh, They have no interest in repentance, but, you know, that does not need to be our concern. We leave that to God. Again, Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Well, let's, uh, let's conclude here. I would propose that without peace and love and grace, we're going to be the most miserable of all people. God has has given us these peace, love, and grace through Jesus Christ. You know, we who were once at odds with him, the Bible says we were enemies with God. We've been reconciled by the finished work of of Jesus Christ on on the cross. This is because of his his great love towards us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Uh, this This is amazing, undeserved grace. So as children of God, loved by him, being the recipients of his love and grace. Let's imitate him. Let's let's be like him. Let's be peacemakers. Let's do, each of us, what's required to live out the gospel of reconciliation, not only to point out the reconciliation that's available through Jesus Christ, but the reconciliation that we need among ourselves, between ourselves. You know, this, this requires the ability to... Uh, examine our hearts to repent of of things we've done wrong. It takes a great deal of humility, which is a a prized attribute in the kingdom of God, humility. Let's let all that we do be done in love. Again, Jesus said, people will know, the world will know that you're my followers because you love one another. And finally, let's extend our grace to others. Uh, Maybe they don't deserve it, but that's what makes it grace, because grace is undeserved always.
So these three things, peace, love, and grace, together will make us peacemakers. So let's, let's tear down the barriers. Let's have reconciliation in our, our lives and our relationships. Let's have reconciliation in our church. Let's pray. Father, in, in the name of Jesus, uh, really it's, it's with empty hands that, that we come to you, receiving your peace, your love, your grace. Um, <laughs> how it is that you love us, I, I cannot understand. I, I cannot comprehend, but I sure do thank you that, that you do. Uh, let us, Jesus, be imitators of you extending your peace to others, truly being peacemakers, uh, striving to, to live at peace with others, um, loving each other, showing honor, outdoing each other and showing honor, freely giving grace to each other as you give grace to us, Lord. Father, in, in Christ, it says you brought reconciliation and you've given us this uh, this ministry of reconciliation let us be people of the gospel of reconciliation let us be gospel people lord we thank you lord in the name of jesus amen i'd like to uh as a benediction close with several verses from colossians 3 starting with 12 put on then as god's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another or another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.